0: All you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles, and welcome to the Summer in the Psalm series. I'm loving the calm of the Psalms. During these beautiful but busy summer days My friend Emily texted me the other day About the interesting transition that summer can be And said something to the effect of what a challenge it is To not fall off of the serenity wagon And go completely off grid In terms of daily rhythms that keep us in check So my prayer is that this summer in the psalm series Can keep us in that place of serenity and focus Even as we unplug in other areas of our lives during this season. I shared with you last episode about how I was sort of looking at this summer in the Psalm series from afar, just having to completely trust in the Lord for the content. When I read how much this podcast has meant to some of you, I'm always so blown away, and I really do mean that. And it's because of the fact that somehow God comes through with what you need to hear. And I pray that He'll do that again today. A few nights ago, as I was sort of hunkered down before bed to look through notes and sort of search for the next bit of direction, my eyes were heavy and my brain was spinning a bit. And I got about as far as typing out the title, Summer in the Psalms. (laughs) And that little cursor was sort of just sitting there blinking at me like a little timer. Counting the minutes till the next podcast was due, blinking at me to come up with something. That's when I know I need to shut the computer and fold my little legs and close my weary little eyes. And as I laid down, Nate said, How's it coming? And I said, I got nothing. The well is dry. (laughs) He just sort of patted me on the back and we both drifted off to sleep. In hindsight, Oh, how I could whisper to myself and take that pat on the back as assurance, He'll meet you in the morning, because He did. I woke up with such a sense of just needing to run to the well, the one that actually doesn't dry up. Careful not to approach Jesus for content alone, I just sat and made myself aware of His presence. I did a couple of exercises that just help me practice His presence when I need to kind of just sit there and be aware that He's with me. As you know, I get the honor of mentoring worship leaders from all over the world through a program called Worship Circle, and I remember... I was video chatting with one of my leaders one time, and she shared a practice with me that I thought was so simple but brilliant and so helpful. She said, I started keeping a running list of the attributes of God so that on Sunday mornings when I'm leading worship, they're in my heart and on my tongue because I've been dwelling on who He is. So this morning, as sort of that practicing God's presence and being aware of Him, I just sat and I made a running list list again, of the attributes of God. And even as you hear these hallmarks of the personality of God, I pray that your soul is revived. Jehovah God, He is our helper, protector, healer, sustainer. He is faithful, trustworthy. He's our peace, our comforter, savior, redeemer, rescuer, friend. He is holy, He is otherly. He's majestic. He's humble, righteous, pure. He's fair. He's our keeper. He's better than life. He is Abba Father, approachable. He's our advocate, our bridegroom, our waymaker, our life. He's our truth. He's our beloved. He's bright, beautiful. He's the bread of life, our defender, shepherd, leader, He's eternal, glorious, good, victorious. He's generous, indescribable. He's the King of kings. He's loving. He's kind. He's miraculous. He's near. He's overcoming. He's our creator, the name above all names. He's patient. He's our refuge, our strong tower. He's unchanging. He's wise. He's mighty. He's our provider and our portion forever in the list Goes on and on because he's the first and last, the beginning and the end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Often, when we dwell on who God is and we put a magnifying glass up to him instead of ourselves and our circumstances, often one of them will jump out at us. One will speak even louder than the rest. That's what happened to me that morning so much it brought me to tears. It was that He is from everlasting to everlasting. I needed to feel His everlastingness, if that's a word. I don't know why it's such a comfort to me to understand that He's so far beyond my little mundane, but maybe that's just it. How He is so far beyond it, but He's right here in it with me all at the same time. I think, too, it's because we want to remember, don't we, that life is about more than this mundane, that we are connected to something much bigger and much more beautiful than just menial tasks. But the most beautiful work is when we realize that we're not missing it after all. The mundane isn't keeping us from some big and beautiful thing. It is the great work, as we realize that His glory can seep into every part of our lives and our day. The very first baby steps to experience that is always knowing where to go with our soul thirst. When the well dries up, as long as we know where to go with it, we thrive. A.W. Tozer says that our soul thirst being quenched is when our deepest longings get touched by the Spirit of God. This is what makes the mundane so glorious. It's the practicality of experiencing or practicing the presence of God right in the middle of these numbered days of ours. This truth that He is from everlasting to everlasting settled into my spirit, and it led me to Psalm 90, which is a prayer written by Moses. We're invited here to picture in our minds Israel during the time of Deuteronomy as they were about to cross the Jordan. Their parents had followed Moses, actually. God was faithful. He led them. He fed them. He parted the sea, and yet they rebelled So God swore to them that they would never enter the promised land. Psalm 90 is a prayer for God to establish the work of our hands. As they sang this song, they were invited to remember that they are heirs of that generation who turned their back on God. And now for God to establish the work of their hands, Moses leads them to hold fast to the covenant or the promise God made and live in that kind of faith towards God What's so beautiful for us is we read it, and I don't know, maybe even sing it. Sometimes when I'm by myself, I actually sing the Psalms. I just make up a tune, and I sing it to God. (laughs) But we can sing it and read it from a place of embracing Jesus today, who is that covenant, who is that promise. So let that be the canopy over our time together today. This is our faith towards God today, to cling to Jesus, the one who came and fulfilled what we could never fulfill. He ultimately has and always will be the sea parter, the Jordan crosser, the way maker, the promised land. It helps us remember why it's so important to cling to Jesus, doesn't it? We forget it's not about us getting it right. It's remembering that He got it right for all time, and He is our rightness, And clinging and abiding and growing inside of him is the way that we will establish the work of our hands. It will come from him. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. There's such a weightiness to the Psalms, and like I said last episode, it really is the entire gamut of human emotion, and there's obviously a theme of Old Testament ethics that's hard for us to wrap our minds and for sure our hearts around. That's why it's so important to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal His Word to us to illuminate for us what He wants us to know and understand about God and His Word. So let's venture in, even as you whisper right now, for God's Spirit to come and bring insight to you, to bring hope and life and meaning to the mundane for us today. This psalm is a reminder that our lives are bookended with the everlastingness of God. That daily prayer I pray a lot from the Ransom Heart app that I've told you a lot about says, God, You are the true end of all things, including my life. I love the eternal framework that that prayer gives me for each day, that He's my beginning and He's my end. Verse 1 says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. That word dwelling place in the Hebrew beautifully means home or habitat. And my favorite is the word den. We call our living room at home our den. So I love this picture here that He has been the den of all generations of those who seek after Him. Moses is remembering out loud here that even long before God brought forth the mountains and formed the earth, that He already was from everlasting to everlasting. The message version says this, Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2, I love it. It says, God, it seems you've been our home forever, long before the mountains were born, long before you brought earth itself to birth. From once upon a time to kingdom come, you are God. So here we sit with this life we've been given, these numbered days inside of this everlasting to everlasting. There is this overarching once upon a time to kingdom come, but then we each also have our own once upon a time and kingdom come within it, I believe. So if we were to build a frame for today's episode to sit in, this is it. Inside of my once upon a time and kingdom come, God teach me to live well. Teach me to make my days count, as we'll read later in verse 12 again. I will say this, it takes a good dose of humility to pray these kind of prayers, because in praying it, we've got to come to grips with our place inside of this everlasting to everlasting. There's a story already there, whether we like it or not, and we're inside of it. We've established together in this podcast the importance of remembrance, haven't we? And this psalm is no different. Moses is having a new generation remember what happened when past generations turned their back on God. And in order to move forward, we have to remember. We have to face our heritage, our lineage, our tendencies. There also has to be this dose of fear and reverence towards this maker of ours. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into a man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. As I read that this morning, my eyes filled with tears and my heart with gratitude that He is a God of mystery— And that there's beauty in that mystery if we allow ourselves not to be offended by it or Him, but rather posture ourselves in remembrance and even thanks and praise to Him for it. I don't know about you, but I want to worship a God who is otherly, who is nothing like this world offers, or nothing like me for that matter, who has mystery surrounding Him, who even conceals some things from His people for our own good. This is us remembering our place and remembering His He is above and before and beyond us. He always was and always will be. I needed to remember that this morning as I sow the small net of my mundane today to the everlasting to everlasting reach of His gigantic net. I'm working from Him and with Him, and suddenly my smallness has such purpose. I get to join my little net with the God of all creation's net. I don't know everything He's about, but I know enough to know that it's a privilege to be a part of His work and His story today. It's so important to have this framework and take it with us as we read verses 3 through 11. They are weighty. They're the verses in the Psalms that we often just kind of want to skim over to get back to the end of the lament circle so that we can just tie a bow on everything and say, Yay, you're faithful! The end. Or we could just remember our place and how important our days are in light of verse 3. You return man to dust. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Again, this is us remembering our place. Everyone in the timeline of history, especially those who've already been swept away like a flood, they all had their moment in history. Each had to reconcile the mundane in light of the greater arching story. Each person, I believe, was significant. And God had a purpose for each of them. But this is sort of us coming to grips with the reality that inside of His everlastingness, there are already generations whose lives were like grass. They faded and withered, and it sobers us to look upon our lives today in the same way. It's but a breath. Then there's verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. This is the people of God remembering the fact that there has been unfaithfulness in past generations. In spite of God's faithfulness to them, they grumbled and complained and turned their back on God. They gave up. Of course, we all know that deep down this sits a bit too close to home, doesn't it? Just like we're compared to sheep in Scripture, something makes us squirm when we read about the Israelites and God rescuing them from slavery and God having to lead them the long way home because they had to go and make it difficult. This psalm is sort of this cry to God of, yes, we remember those things, God, but can't we just let bygones be bygones? I've talked a lot about holding both sides of the tension in life, and I think this psalm is very much that. You might remember that I shared the definition of the word angst that I, oddly enough, found in Urban Dictionary, which I don't really use Urban Dictionary as a study tool. (laughs) It just happens to be what came up when I Googled the word angst, and I love the definition because I felt like it very much encompassed how I was wanting to use the word. It says, angst, often confused with anxiety, is a transcendent emotion in that it combines the unbearable anguish of life with the hopes of overcoming this seemingly impossible situation. Without the important element of hope, then the emotion is anxiety, not angst. Angst denotes the constant struggle one has with the burdens of life that weighs on the dispossessed, and not knowing when the salvation will appear. There's angst in this psalm. Even now, as we read it, and there should be this kind of angst present in our lives, really, Honestly, I believe living with angst, as per this definition, develops the ability in us to really truly walk with others in this life, to truly help people, because we are a people who hold out hope. Jesus has come. Like I said, He's that canopy over this whole psalm. Hope is alive, and this is what balances the other side of the tension for us, no, not everything is whole and restored. We're walking through real pain and real suffering, and this side of eternity, this will be a broken world until kingdom come. But isn't it beautiful to remember that we take our place, our numbered days inside this firm reality that our God is from everlasting to everlasting, and we hold out that hope. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when salvation will come, when full healing and full restoration will come. My friend Annie Downs taught at our church earlier this month, and her message was about persevering and not giving up. She talked about the different ways we can strengthen our souls by persevering, and one of them was through waiting. Persevering through waiting, she used the illustration of holding a plank, as in that dreaded exercise. From afar, it literally looks like you're doing nothing but getting ready to maybe do a push-up. But Oh, internally. It's engaging every muscle in your entire body to the point where Annie nailed it in saying, you're crying for your mom at that point. But she began to tell us that holding a plank is like us saying, God, I believe, even through the waiting, that you are who you say you are. Holding the plank is holding out hope through whatever we're going through. She also reminded us that hope always costs us something. It comes through persevering. That picture of holding the plank. So reminded me of balancing this tension. We hold on to Jesus while humbly remembering our tendencies to grumble and complain and turn our own backs on God, and thus remembering, God, we need you. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. In fact, the fact that we can admit we need Him is our hope today. It's how we can read Psalm 90 and let it do its work in us. But I love that we can read Psalm 90 while holding up scriptures like Hebrews 10. I love this passage. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. The writer of Hebrews goes on here and sort of breaks apart what Christ said, explaining in verse 8. He says, First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He goes on in verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then He adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. This gives us such a beautiful picture, doesn't it, of the whole counsel of the Word of God, doesn't it? When we read Psalm 90, we can also hold up Hebrews 10, and it causes us to want to worship. There's a vastness and richness in holding to Jesus as a way of saying, God, be blessed today in me, taking my rightful place in your covenant, in your promise. As I live faithfully in these days, you've numbered for me. So, in light of this reverence and honestly fear of God, though sadly this kind of thinking in our faith is sort of falling on hard times, it's not popular to talk about God's wrath or his judgment or fearing him, even. It's important for us to see that it's his love for us. Love has always been and always must be at the core of His wrath because He can't separate Himself from His attributes. He is love. I agree it's a lot easier and maybe more palatable to accept Jesus' correction when we see Him as this kind and gentle shepherd folding a lamb's legs out in a field and making them lie down. It's a bit more difficult for us to snuggle up in a den with a God who says, "'Return to dust, O children of man.'" (laughs) But oh, what patience and kindness and mercy and perfect will that He would send us that shepherd. Even though the blood that runs in our veins traces all the way back to Eden, to Egypt, to the wilderness, He sent the one who'd become a lamb Himself, sacrificed for us, making a way for us to make our days count. Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom there even means skill, to be skilled at war, and in technical work, to be shrewd, to be perceptive, and having good judgment. Verse 14 goes on, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants— and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands. I read from Ecclesiastes earlier. If you go on reading in Ecclesiastes 3, it can get pretty disheartening as you can sort of sum it all up with, okay, yeah, everything is basically meaningless. I mean, we already have a hard enough time feeling like our mundane is meaningless, and now we have Scripture telling us Yes, it's all meaningless, <laughs> but that word meaningless there is the Hebrew word hebel, and it means breath or a vapor. Another word for it is vanity. A few instances, you even see it in conjunction with idols. This is just kind of my own interpretation, but there's this sense that trying to hold on to a breath or a vapor or find treasures in it, something as fleeting as a vapor, is vanity that is meaningless. So I love that Moses' prayer here and our prayer in Psalm 90 can be, let your work, God, be shown to us. Yes, but even beyond us, show your glorious power to our children and to generations to come. That word established there is kun, which means to set up on on pillars, to make firm, something being built. Strong and firm isn't in the same category as a breath or a vapor, is it? So that's a beautiful prayer, isn't it, that what we're building here in the mundane would last well beyond us, leaving a legacy. So you are about the things eternal, You right there in sippy cup and diaper world today, (laughs) you there on your morning commute to that not-so-ideal day job, what could you pray over today that would line up with this prayer of, God, during my vapor of life here, what might you establish and build in me and through me that would long last after I'm gone? We might not last forever, but He can establish the work of our hands today to long outlast us. You might remember that early on in the life of this podcast, I talked a lot about themes in our lives being threaded through, even from when we were little kids. It wasn't really until this past year or so that I discovered another one of those themes threaded through. One of them started with a children's book that my mom used to read to me when I was little. I'm sure all of you have books that you remember most, ones that stick out to you, that made you feel a certain way. There are a handful for me, and I purchased actually a copy of each of them to read to my kids because I figured if they meant something to me, I wanted to pass them on to my kids. One of those books, randomly, is called Miss Susie. My mom's name is Susan, and a lot of our church friends when I was growing up called her Susie, so there was already something familiar about this book to me in a way. It just would feel like home when my mom would read it to me. Part of it was actually sung by my mom. There's a part in the book where it says that Miss Susie sang and the lyrics followed. So my mom would make up her own tune, kind of like I said I do with the psalms sometimes. But she'd always sing that part the same way every time. Of course, I didn't know she made up her own tune to it. I just thought she automatically knew how the tune to the book went because she was mama. Well, later when I had kids of my own, and still to this day when I read it, I sing mama's tune to it. You know, because the little stuff matters. But I think I told you guys that a year ago, this past February, I led worship and was a part of Beth Moore's lit conference that she held for women who feel called to writing and speaking. And the night before the conference started, Beth invited the women who were there to share the stage with her to her hotel room. And she specifically asked that we show up in our pajamas. Upon arriving, dinner was served in her hotel suite for us. We all gathered in our jammies around the table. There we were, Jenny Allen, Chris Kane, Priscilla Shirer, and Boscamp. all of us women who felt called to something early on in our lives that we we're so passionate about. We never imagined it would unfold the way it all did, each of us still passionate about what we do and who we get to serve, but very much constantly deal with the exhaustion of what it takes to carry it all sometimes. So a bit jet-lagged and sleepy-eyed, none of us were really prepared for what happened after dinner. First of all, milk and cookies were delivered to the door by the hotel staff. And Beth had us gather on the huge sectional couch, and she brought in pillows and fluffy blankets And in her mothering way, she said, put your phones away. (laughs) We obeyed and sat with expectancy. And I don't want to share too much of it, but one of the things that happened was that Beth took all of our faces in her hands and spoke life into us, told us she was proud of us. And after that, there were a lot of tears in the room. She began to read us a bedtime story that she had written for us. It was a moment that I'll never forget. I think you probably have an idea of what that must have meant to all of us. It was unexpected for sure. And this is just a side note. I don't know, maybe it's not a side note, but the juxtaposition of women in leadership just sitting under a mother for a moment and being mothered by God, if that makes sense, it was unforgettable. If we're made in His image, both male and female, then I would have to think that there's a fathering and a mothering heart of God, a nurturing part of His heart. Nurturing isn't a weak trait. It means to support and foster, cultivate, and raise. So in the spirit of my mama mothering me, including reading, and Beth reading us a bedtime story when we least expected it, today I give you Miss Susie, just when you didn't see it coming. Miss Susie by Miriam Young Miss Susie was a little gray squirrel who lived all by herself in the tip-tip-top of a tall oak tree. She liked to cook, she liked to clean, and she liked to sing while she worked. Every morning, Miss Susie made herself a bowl of acorn pudding, and as she stirred it around, she sang, Oh, I love to cook, I love to bake, I guess I'll make an acorn cake. After that, she swept the crumbs from her moss carpet with a little broom she'd made from maple twigs. Then she dusted her firefly lamps and rinsed her acorn cups and put her whole house in order. At night, Miss Susie climbed into her bed and looked through the topmost branches at the sky. She saw a million stars, and the wind blew gently and rocked her to sleep. It was very peaceful. But one day, a band of red squirrels came jumping and chattering to the foot of the tree where Miss Susie lived— They were quarrelsome fellows and liked fighting so much, they even fought among themselves. Miss Susie did not see them because she was in her kitchen, and she did not hear them because she was singing, Oh, I love my house, oh yes, sirree, my own little house in my own oak tree. She was just putting her cake in the oven when she looked up and saw a lot of strangers in her doorway. One, two, three, she counted, and one, two, three more, six red squirrels. They chased her out of her little house. They broke her broom and threw out her acorn cups. Then they ate up her whole winter's supply of nuts. Poor Miss Susie. She didn't know where to go. And while she stood wondering what to do, it began to rain. She scampered up the nearest tree. It was a maple standing beside an old, old house. She ran out on a branch and dropped to the roof. The rain came down hard, and her fur was all wet. Shivering and cold, Miss Susie scrambled down the chimney of the old, old house and out of a hole in the chimney and into the attic. There in the dusty, quiet attic, she saw a beautiful dollhouse. It was big enough for a whole family of dolls. She knocked at the door. There was no answer, so she peeped inside. My, what a lovely house, thought Miss Susie. It is fit for a queen, but it needs a good housekeeper, so it's just the place for me. The flowered carpets were covered with dust, and cobwebs clung to the gold chandeliers. There was dust on the black iron stove in the kitchen, and on the little piano in the parlor. There was even dust on the china closet in the dining room, and a spider web on the dishes inside. "'When it is cleaned, it will be a good house for the winter,' said Miss Susie to herself. "'But what a shame, there is no one to share it with me. It is so big.' She cleaned the whole first floor, then she went upstairs and cleaned the bedrooms, then she climbed into a four-poster bed." and fell asleep. The next morning, Miss Susie was hungry, and she left the dollhouse to go looking for nuts and seeds. On her way to the attic window, Miss Susie saw a box. Just the thing to keep my seeds in, she thought, and she opened it up. Well, what do you think she saw inside? A band of toy soldiers. They had been sleeping there for years. "'Thanks for setting us free,' said the captain, "'and now I need a place for us to live.' Oh, do come stay with me, invited Miss Susie. So the toy soldiers marched into the big dollhouse, and Miss Susie took care of them like a mother. She cooked their meals in the little kitchen and served them in the dining room. At night, she told them stories and tucked them into the four poster beds. The soldiers were very happy, and most of the time Miss Susie was happy too, but not always. Sometimes she looked at the flower carpets and the real china dishes and the gold chandelier, and she sighed. "'thinking of her plain moss carpet and her firefly lamps and her acorn cups. "'One night in the spring, instead of telling the soldiers a story, "'she told them about her old home in the oak tree, "'and she told them how the red squirrels had come and chased her away, "'and a tear rolled down her furry cheek. "'Late that night the captain woke his men and gave them their orders. "'There were only five of them, but they were very brave, "'and their hearts were full of love.' After all, Miss Susie had cared for them all winter. They marched up to the oak tree and scaled its trunk. The red squirrels were, as usual, fighting among themselves. They were making so much noise that they did not hear the soldiers until it was too late. "'This is Miss Susie's house,' said the captain, drawing his sword. "'Will you go peaceably, or must we fight?' The red squirrels looked at the soldiers with their shining swords and brave faces, and one by one they scurried. "'Head first, down the tree. "'And don't come back,' shouted the captain. "'Miss Susie was overjoyed when she heard she could move back into the tall oak tree. "'She thanked the toy soldiers and made them promise to come for dinner once every week. "'Then the soldiers waved goodbye and marched off through the forest, singing merrily. "'Miss Susie had to work hard to make her old home as neat and cozy as it had been before, "'but she didn't mind.' She made a new moss carpet and a new broom and gathered fresh acorns for cups and caught two fireflies for her lamps. At last, she had everything in order. That night when she went to bed, she was very tired, but she looked through the branches and she could see a million stars. The wind blew gently and rocked the tree like a cradle. It was very peaceful, and Miss Susie was very happy once more. When I read the words of Psalm 90 in the message version and I saw that phrase, Once upon a time, until kingdom come, you are God, that's when I first thought to read you the Miss Susie book. I will say too that this book has been on my heart lately for other reasons and this is kind of a bunny trail, but one of them is that we are finally painting the exterior of our house. I was working hard to finalize paint colors weeks ago because I wasn't sure when the painters would actually be able to start because we've had so much rain here, but the painting has finally begun and so it's all fresh on the brain. Our house is about 10 years old, but the builder built this house to look like it was about 100 years old. The style of our home is a Victorian farmhouse, and it was even built with a lot of gingerbread detail that you see on some of the Victorian houses that are kind of outlandish. But we've actually been pulling off some of that detail as we've been painting some of the medallions and scallops and things that were just kind of busying up the house in an odd way. So if you could actually see the pages of this Miss Susie book, which, FYI, Amazon does sell this book, by the way, it's a good one, but you could see that the house that Miss Susie retreats to and the old attic after the red squirrels chase her away from her home in the tree, that house is a Victorian farmhouse with lots of fringe and frills, and I have to chuckle to myself because it reminds me of our house like a lot. But the part that makes me laugh is that the house I always loved the best in the book was actually Miss Susie's original house in the old oak tree, the one with the moss carpet and the firefly lamps. So it's funny, in an odd way, this book reminds me of what it's like to live between our once-in-a-lifetime and kingdom come. The house in the oak tree, to me, represents eternity, set into our hearts by God Himself. When I read that Miss Susie looked through the branches and she could see a million stars while the wind blew gently and rocked the tree like a cradle, that reminds me of eternity and both the sense of life beyond this world, but also the sense of eternity that He set within us that we talked about earlier, that home or den that God is to His people that we often ache for, don't we? For most of our lives, we toil a bit along with that ache to find a sense of home in a place that's not ultimately our home. What speaks to me so much is how Miss Susie makes the most of her days in the dollhouse and the attic, doesn't she? She sets out to clean it, to be its caretaker, to leave it better than she found it. She begins to store up for what she needs for the winter, and while she's working, she stumbles upon the toy soldiers. She sets them free. And because she already determined that her home was big enough for the sharing, she welcomes them into her familiar. She mothered them. And isn't it beautiful as Miss Susie helped set them free and shared life with them and mothered them that they were the ones to deliver her back to her home, to that place of rest. It's pretty amazing to think first that part of God establishing the work of our hands today means that people are a part of that work. You don't have to be a mother to mother. You're made in God's image, and that means that you have a heart of a nurturer inside of you, and a nurturer raises and cultivates, fosters, and builds up. This is a work that has pillars to it, that stands strong. There's no hint of vapor in it. It builds a foundation for your kids and your grandkids to stand on and see the glory of God in their time if not your biological children, people that you're a part of raising up. It's just as powerful. You might remember Lauren Tomlin commenting on how she and her girls call our house the treehouse. Every time Lauren says that I can't help that my heart leaps a little bit inside because of the theme threaded through. It's funny, even though my day-to-day is keeping up with what looks and feels more like the dollhouse in the attic, Lauren knows me well. And what she sees of my home, she tells me every time, is the treehouse. She couldn't have known about the theme threaded through, but God does. As we make our days count, I have to believe that eternity begins to seep through our mundane. Heaven touches earth. One begins to fade into the other. Kingdom come isn't just for the end of time. Kingdom come is also right now, the way it is in heaven coming to earth today, in us and through us. I imagine myself getting to walk through your mundane and point out how I clearly see eternity seeping right through it. It might not be so obvious to you anymore, but I bet it's obvious to others. You might just be a little bit too weary to see it, a little too jet-lagged maybe from the pace. carrying it all. But if I could, I'd sit you all down in your jammies and tell you to put your phones away and look you in the eye and tell you I'm proud of you. And I'd sing and read you a story of heaven colliding with earth, of how eternity is woven into your heart. And because of that, in these precious numbered days of yours, you're building something that will live on long after You're once upon a time and kingdom come. I'll talk to you soon.